You're listening to the AID Network. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Welcome back to episode 18 of Disneyland for Designers. And as you know, we're now showing up each and every week as long as the gates of Disneyland California are closed. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers, where you can become one of our supporters. And during this weird and awkward time, if we get enough of these supporters, maybe we just keep this party going every Wednesday, all year long, 50 plus episodes each and every year. And speaking of our supporters, I want to thank Amanda Moran, who became another one of our tremendous supporters of Disneyland for Designers. Amanda, I give you the coveted Tinkerbell Zipline Award. That's right. That means that you now represent that magical, I think she's a fairy, floating across from Matterhorn to wherever that other side goes atop of Sleeping Beauty's Castle during all of our favorite fireworks show. Thank you so much, Amanda, for supporting Disneyland for Designers. And remember, you can do it too by going to anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers. This is my full-time job. I completely appreciate it, and that helps me decide to keep doing more and more of these. Speaking of which, over at Instagram.com slash Disneyland for Designers, make sure you give us a follow. Uh, about 500 followers in our first week, which is amazing. And when we get to 1,000 followers on Instagram, I'm going to do a live stream. Ask me anything. Anything you want to know about Disneyland from my perspective or my experiences, I'll give everybody a heads up when it's going to happen. But that week we will get two episodes. I will do a live stream with everybody uh, and we will record that and release it as a podcast. So that's at Disneyland for Designers over on Instagram. With all that being said, what do you say we get into today's special episode? I'm so happy you decided to show up and go to Disneyland with me. Today's episode of Disneyland for Designers is brought to you by our friends over at jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for Circle of Trust, where you will save. And right now, everyone is saving at jackprince.com, where the entire website is 20% off. So if you're looking to get t-shirts, stickers, or any kind of custom printing made, jackprince.com slash C-O-T. Entire website right now, 20% off. You do not want to miss out on this opportunity to get industry-leading printing at 20% off. Thank you so much, Jack Prince, for supporting Disneyland for Designers and all episodes of the AID Network. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on Earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Well, you're a citizen. My citizenship is still pending. Don't have the button. I'll get there one day. Don't worry about it. On today's episode, we have our first ever guest who has actually crafted, designed, put that love into Disneyland. Today, we have Tasha Sonhart, who's part of the Pixar Disney Parks Division, where she oversees how the Pixar brand goes out to our favorite land. Not only does Tasha probably have some of your dream job of working at Pixar, 
but she's a fan of Disneyland and a listener of Disneyland for Designers. And I want to give you a heads up. When I bring on professionals from the Disney Corporation or its various different branches, these are different types of conversations. These aren't exactly interviews about how you do what you do or what big special project can I try to intimidate or interrogate you into telling us. But this is about how people at a professional level love the park, love their job, love what they do, and how they put all the deep thought and care into creating all of this wonderful magic for me and for you. Disneyland for Designers is about getting into the design, the love of Disneyland, where these professionals can come on and share with us just how the magic happens for all of us. What do you say we sit back, close our eyes, and let's go to Disneyland. Tasha Sonhart, welcome to Disneyland for Designers. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. As well as can be expected in the weirds. In these times, but you know what? That doesn't exist inside the magical walls of Disneyland where we're hanging out today, right? Like we, we come to the park every Wednesday just to get away from what's happening out there. It doesn't even, it doesn't even exist oh, inside yeah. these walls. Our park bubble. So I, which is, you, you mentioned something interesting. When you go to Google, you know how you start typing and it'll like autofill what you're looking for? Yes. People really do Google. Is there a bubble over Disney World? <laughs> like that's a real thing that people are curious about. I'm like, you who are you that you think Disney has so much power in this world that they can create a force field to put over their parks? Like that's some <laughs> deep thinking. But maybe someday. Maybe someday. <laughs> I'm so excited to get to talk to somebody on the show because Disneyland for Designers, we look at the entire park from the designer's perspective of we love the magic. The magic is so special to us. But it's really a, a masterful art project, Disneyland. And like, it's one of the best art projects that's been created by mankind since the beginning of the earth. And we love <laughs> that it keeps living on. You, my friend, you have had a helping hand on crafting the magic. Part of your job is being a representative of the magic at the Disney parks. You work for Pixar. This is a long title, but I can get it out. You ready? <laughs> okay. Tasha, you are the associate... Associate Creative Director, Theme Parks at Pixar Animation Studios. Correct. That's right. <laughs> man, oh man, you must have two business cards just to fit that title on it. <laughs> yeah, it's a long title, but, um, you know, it's just it's just such a fun job. Like, I've, I've had an interesting career path, but it's kind of, it's all led to um, our, our theme parks group at Pixar, which I feel like is almost this perfect... Uh, combination of all of my different uh jobs that i've had throughout my career well i mean i think when we look backwards on on our career and, and if we use disneyland as sort of a, a symbolism for this it's like walt didn't just wake up one day but like, i think i'm gonna go build this amusement park it was like every chapter in his life built to this grand finale right. of of building this but i know you have a history in gaming and storytelling and all kinds of things that got you to over at pixar but if i understand your role correctly is that Disneyland or Disney parks, we should say mm -hmm. has all this different IP that comes into it. And just because they bought Pixar and Lucasfilm and all these things doesn't mean they can just throw those brands wherever they want. Like all of these brands are still individually guarded. So there's a head of Marvel there's a head of Pixar. And if I'm understanding this correctly, you are 
boots on the ground, eyeballs to make sure that when Pixar goes into Disney parks, it's on brand for both Disney and for Pixar. You're the one that sort of like chaperones it, if you will, and make sure that it's a perfect execution of both brands integrating at the park level. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so we, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, so we actually have a, a team at Pixar called Theme Parks. So it's not just me, but it's also, um, we have around 12 people, I think, in our team. Well, as of today, 13. I'm getting sworn <laughs> in today as the 13th Mouseketeer. <laughs> and uh, it's a combination of, you know, um, artists, which I come from an art background or animation. Um, yeah. And then we have managers and producers and and technical people and so we have this small group of people and we all help bring anything that's pixar related in the parks um and make sure that it's all consistent with what is in the film so um it's just a, such a wide variety of things that it keeps my job really interesting because it could be even like merchandise so right park specific merchandise but also you know character costumes, parades, floats, rides, uh, shops, So anything, anything that touches Pixar, anything that gets brought in via Pixar into the parks, you guys have to look, look it over. Right, right. Um, yeah, so we work with a lot of Disney teams to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, it just it makes things really interesting and fun. And there's enough work to keep all of you guys busy focused on this one part of your job or do you mm -hmm. also do due diligence in another uh, chapter of um, Pixar? Well, most of us just work on, we're dedicated to theme parks um, and they're usually we are very busy. I mean, right now, just because of all the parks being closed, there's a little bit of a slowdown. Um, a lot yeah. of projects have been put on hold, unfortunately. Sure. Um, but usually, you know, because there's, there's a lot of parks worldwide. So this is for all the parks. Um, right. there's usually just a continuous stream of stuff coming in. Um, so, uh, we do work in, uh, for the parks in Paris and, and Tokyo and Hong Kong and, and China, as well as the parks in the U S. So there's usually just a lot of stuff always coming in. Um, but I also work, um, in our interactive group. So, I also work with, um, just because I have an interactive background and, a, and an interest in that, um, yeah. I work with our group that it's very small, like it's really only three people, but um, working on any of the video games that have like Pixar characters in them also. So um, that's sort of like a secondary job For of mine. <laughs> but if that's your side hustle right. at work, if that's like, you know, like, cause a lot of people are like, well, you know, I do accounting, but sometimes they also make me go over and do this other thing. Like your side job is even fascinating. <laughs> so when you look at managing Pixar for Disney parks worldwide, and as you said that, you know, you also work with the international parks as well, mm -hmm. both as a professional and now as a fan that there's all of these parks and, you know, before March of 2020, we were really in the golden renaissance of the theme parks. And I'm sure as a professional and both me as a fan, it's like the drip of of cool things happening around the world. Like I am a Disneyland guy through and through, but I am fascinated by the construction and the design projects oh, that are yeah. happening globally. Yeah. Like I can't wait to see the new castle that's happening over in Asia. And like, I, I love the footprint of the Shanghai Park and how much 
um, effort was put into, you know, sort of observe their culture and, and make that a different kind type of hub. You know what I mean? Because it's a different culture. It's a different way of thinking. So I just absolutely love that there's so much happening. And I guess it does make sense that you guys would stay busy because there's always something happening at Disney Parks worldwide. There's always something big that's on the edge of releasing or a big announcement that we're getting to hear as fans. Right, yeah. I mean, we... I don't know when it's going to open now, but we were supposed to open the Ratatouille ride. You actually probably know the release date. <laughs> I don't always know these things firsthand, but um, but uh, we were supposed to open the Ratatouille ride in uh, in Epcot. Right, that um, was really close. Right, I mean yeah. that's it's ready to roll. Right, Have, you've rolled the one in Paris, obviously, right? Right. I mean that was before I was in the theme parks group. So, right. um, but but yeah, this this ride is. Um, it's pretty much a copy of what was in Paris. Um, I was so excited when I went to Disneyland Paris. I went straight to that ride because that was going to be my first ever trackless ride. And I was just fascinated to see what it's like when you don't have to adhere to a, a course that's been set out for you. And I love the idea on something like Rise of the Resistance. Ride it one time, get one adventure. Ride it a second time get another adventure like i love the freedom that that creates and how that creates so much different storytelling so yeah having that stateside uh in orlando that that would be fascinating so you were a big part of the emotional whirlwind mm-hmm. that recently mm-hmm. showed up on our pixar pier when exactly did you start working for the parks division were you a part of the entire rollout of pixar pier yeah yeah so i've been in the parks on the parks team for about four years. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was there since, um, since the beginning of Pixar Pier, um, which actually happened very fast in terms of like, uh, theme park schedules. A lot of times, you know, to build an attraction, it might be a year or two years. And this was done in like, I think it was like, I don't know, nine months or some, some, it was very accelerated schedule. Um, but uh, but yeah, my main parts on Pixar Pier were um, the Lamplight Lounge mm-hmm. and um, uh, Bing Bong's Sweet Stuff um, and the Emotional Whirlwind. Um, yeah, those were my, my main things. So we actually have three creative directors in our group. So we have Roger Gould, who's kind of the executive creative director. That oversees of everything. The entire, right, oversees everything. And he also works half of his time at Disney. So he goes mm-hmm. back and forth from from Pixar and Disney. Um, and then a colleague of mine, Steve Mason, who is also an associate creative director. So we have so many projects going on that a lot of times we divide up the projects and we each take on our own uh, little bits and pieces. And Pixar Pier was such a huge thing. So um, he had his projects and I had my projects. But those were kind of my, my uh, domains. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because to get a lot of work done in a fast amount of time, you have to have people specialized on a couple of pieces. And we all know as creatives, the whole too many cooks in the kitchen, right? So you take a smaller team, the decision making is a lot more efficient. I have to say that when Disney announced that they were doing Pixar Pier, I was a little bit blown away. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. I feel like even though I'm honestly, I, you know, I'm not the biggest Pixar person. Like some people, that's their total identity as a mm-hmm. fan. Obviously, the the body of work is, is amazing. But looking besides my own feelings and my own needs as a fan, 
The Pixar brands are so rich and much like Marvel, they're a multi-generational experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are now kids that saw this that are adults that are having their own kids that are going on this loop, you know, mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. And I was just so fascinated. I'm like, but this is all such rich, big IP to create this neighborhood theme and to put in as an overlay in one part of the park. Like I was kind of, I think I was let down for other fans that I felt like the Incredibles could get their own, like they could take over the back Hollywood lot and (laughs) and fill up the whole thing with that beautiful mid-century modern art. Oh yeah. What, when you guys first are given this idea, was there a little bit of panic of like, how do we fit all of this rich storytelling into such a small footprint. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about that creative problem solving of yeah. an embarrassment of riches, really. Right. So, I mean, the whole Pixar Pier um, idea sort of got started because of California Screaming. And there was, you know, every attraction has a schedule on which they get brought down for a certain yes. period of time for maintenance. Uh, and California Screaming was due to be brought down for maintenance um, for, for a certain period of time. And so during that, um, there was an idea to give it a theme. So because California Screaming didn't really have a theme other than it's a fun roller coaster. <laughs> and but, traditional um, California boardwalk and right, sort of like the, the idea of DCA. Yeah. yeah, the whole pier was sort of like a California boardwalk, but... It didn't really feel like the rest of Disneyland in terms of like storytelling and yeah. characters and and something that people can really relate to and like and and grab onto as something you know that they have an emotional attachment to. Sure. Um. So, so the idea was to uh, retheme uh, California Screaming to Incredibles, and so. We've been wanting an Incredibles attraction for a long time. So yeah. we were very excited about the idea and and also nervous because there is this set amount of time that the coaster was supposed to be brought down for. So we didn't have a lot of time to actually um, do the modifications and, and put a lot into it that we would want to put into it. But And, and the, the other difficult thing about that project, so this wasn't my project, so a lot of this is like what I was hearing from my, my coworkers. But peers, yeah. the other really difficult thing about it was that because it, it's a fast-moving roller coaster, it's really hard to tell a story when you're flying by things like really quickly. Incredibly um, ambitious to try to tell <laughs> right. a story at like 65 miles an hour. Right, right. So um, they kind of decided on telling the story in these like beats where right. first the story has to, the storyline has to be really simple so it was just like let's take this thing that everyone loves from the movie which is jack jack and and make a really simple story about jack jack escaping and you're trying to catch him so it's something that everyone can really understand like pretty easily right and then just tell that story in these really quick little beats and I think that one of the things they did was they extended one of the tunnels so that that beat could be a little longer so that you could see, um, I don't remember which characters are in there. It's either Mrs. Incredible or, or Violet or something. I in think one of Violet those and Mrs. Incredible each share a, a, a screen yeah. tube. And right. 
the idea of taking the scream tubes and fully enclosing them, I was a big fan of that because I believe that one of the number one rules that DCA breaks is I think when you go in the park, you should never be able to see outside of the park. Right. And I love, I love how Disneyland really, really holds true to that. So when they took the old blue screen tubes, enclosed them, painted them red, I was all on board for, mm-hmm. for that transformation because I thought that was something that was well overdue. But when I found out they were putting a story inside of the screen tubes, I'm like, somebody has lost their mind <laughs> that they think that we can read that story that fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the big pieces of it, I think, is the music. Like, yes, um, Michael Giacchino's score is so iconic. Like, as soon as you hear that music in there, it just like transport you, transports you to to that story. Um, and so the music and the voices uh, just add so much to it. So even if you miss like one of the things to see, you're still hearing it. So I feel like you still get that sense of your and even the speed goes with incredible. So it just feels like you're in that that movie, um, even if you don't see every single detail. But hopefully that'll make you want to go on it again so you can see more right. details. <laughs> even if you don't see all 19 Jack-Jacks on your first trip through. <laughs> right. You know, my my favorite part of that attraction is this. Because, you know, honestly, I'm not really a roller coaster guy. That gets a little bit out of my uh, old man equally equilibrium um i rode that attraction one time and my wife was like are you okay and the only thing i could get out was like if i throw up put it on instagram i was just like (laughs) let's not let this motion sickness be for nothing but as a diehard fan of the park and the design of the park i love the mid-century modern aspects that were Mm -hmm. put into that and if i had to say my favorite part of the incredicoaster is that little mall area where we walk through the archway. You know, what Disney does better than anybody is they do things that don't need to be done. For example, the Incredibles um, fountain Mm -hmm. that once silver, that rusted on us, so we had to do a little (laughs) bit of uh, work around. But just that whole area and the exit out of the ride where there's that mid-century like chalet type building. And then, I mean, the best part of Pixar Pier, the biggest win we got as fans are Jack Jack's Num Nums. I mean, that <laughs> oh, little yeah. deep dish. Those are so good. Oh, don't get me started. I One of those and a milk and I'm good to go. That's a breakfast <laughs> of champions at Disneyland. But I, I really love that area where that mid-century modern like optimism is, is all designed around there. For so, somebody who's not going to ride the ride, that little footprint for me, I stepped in and said, okay, yeah. Now I'm now I'm understanding this redesign because we are literally taking every square inch of this land and really putting the personality and the design thinking in there. And then you know, that translates over into the upgrade and I'm going to say upgrade of when we look at Jesse's critter carousel <laughs> and what that looked like in its previous life form. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful carousel. Full of storytelling. (laughs) And the mural that you guys put around it, Mm -hmm. tying in Big Thunder Mountain to Jesse's Critter Carousel. I love that you can see the goat, that you can see the top spire of Big Thunder. Like I love that play of of both of these parks exist in the same world. Yeah. The skunk that's riding backwards because he's gonna spray somebody. (laughs) That's my favorite one. (laughs) How genius is that? Yeah. So, yeah, that was my my colleague, Steve Mason. Um, That was his project. And he actually did all the artwork for that mural. And it took him months to do that mural. And 
Um, I don't know if he'll ever volunteer to do another one of those murals again because it really it took a lot out of him. But I'm glad that people notice it and and notice oh, those man. details. And that's actually that's one thing I really appreciate about your podcast is that you do notice those details that we put in because sometimes you know we put those in and and we think like man nobody's gonna see this except for us you know but it is nice to see like that other people notice that stuff too no that's 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 the disney touch and it's that it that allows you to know that a corporation didn't build this i mean yeah it is a corporation for tax purposes but it's a corporation (laughs) ran by fans Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're just as extreme about their love and how sacred this plot of land is as we are and i think that is the real reason why you know once you fall in love with disneyland and you go to any other amusement park you're like not for nothing but this all needs a coat of paint and we need about (laughs) twice as many garbage cans and so just that attention to detail is, is so amazing and i just thought I thought Critter, um, Jesse's Critter Carousel was such an upgrade. And once again, I love the statue of her out front mm-hmm. because that means more to the young kids than the actual attraction does because that's FaceTime with their hero. And, you know, yeah, I mean, that's something we've noticed, too, that has gotten more and more popular with like Instagram and stuff is these photo yes. ops. So every time we make a new attraction or something now, we have to really consider like, OK, well, what's the photo op and make yes. sure that let's say we put like a character out front that it's down at guest level so they can get a nice photo with it. It's not just like up here. Um, but it is something that we have been thinking about more and more. I think when you guys, when let's move further down the, the, the pier, if you don't mind to the emotional whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is an attraction that a lot of guests probably aren't going to go out of their way to ride it because it's a simple ride and people don't go to Disney for that exact experience. It's important that it's there because it caters to a very important crowd, families, small kids. So I'm not taking away its importance, but most guests will interact with this on a visual relationship more than an attraction. And you guys nailed it with multiple photo ops, right? So the actual logo of the attraction, you guys put five feet up in the air. So even if it's busy, it's actually probably taller than five feet, but I'm just guesstimating as you and I are standing here staring at it, but they're up so high that even when it's busy, you can get a clear photo of -hmm. what's happening. The fact that you guys put this attraction up on a stage makes it feel more grandiose. Over around the corner here, we have envy at anybody's height that you can stand next to for a photo. Mm -hmm. And don't tell me that I'm wrong on this, but I'm going to say that this looks like a miniature version of the Tower of the Four Winds created by Raleigh Crump <laughs> for 1964. We did World have Fair. a lot of uh, inspiration from the from that, yeah. <laughs> when I saw that pop up, I literally choked up because I actually got to interview him and talk to him about the f- decision not to bring the Tower of Four Winds back to Anaheim from New York. And he kind of felt like corporate had pressured him not to do it. So to see that little miniature homage <laughs> to that, it literally is like, that's the heart of what we're doing here. And I love that you guys were able to put that attraction wrapped around the roller coaster and the wall that you guys did with the memories. It is absolutely beautiful. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> we worked of, hard on that. <laughs> oh, you can tell. You can <laughs> You can tell that that was thought through. Every little detail of, of that was thought through. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We actually, like, we do build out mock-ups, like, in 3D uh, virtually so that we can see things from guest point of, view, point of view. 
And so sometimes, yeah, we will adjust the height of things or where things are placed because it's not a good like viewpoint from guest POV. So we do try to plan that stuff out ahead of time. Um, and about the, the ball wall, it was kind of tough to get the, um, the, the memory spheres with the correct sort of swirling that we wanted to, to look how they do in the movie. Um, I think what we ended up doing was getting some, some guys who, who paint automobiles yeah. <laughs> and having them do this like auto paint job on the inside of the spheres. Um, and we tested out a, a lot of different ones before we landed on like what really looked good. Um, if, if the light's not hitting them, if the light is hitting them, you know, in daytime and nighttime, um, to try to get the correct colors on them, but it was a lot of back and forth, but I think they turned out really nice. <laughs> they're beautiful. And if I'm understanding right, they're painted on the inside mm-hmm. so that the paint job will last a lot longer. And then also when they're illuminated from the inside, you're like lighting, like almost like the inside of a store that has a graphic painted on the inside of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I know that when I first saw that big purple wall get put in, <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. Cause I was, you know, that was the old Flix flyers, right? right? On the other side of the park. And, you know, which was just looked like something that you could go to an amusement wholesaler. You buy this, they ship it out to you. Five guys build it in six days. And now you have yourself the spinny ride. But the cosmetic overlay or, or yeah, overlay that you guys put on it, um, it just really brought it to a whole different life. And that's one of those things where, like, I love telling people when I walk through them, like, well, this was originally Flix flyers and it was over in Bugsland. And people are like, no, it wasn't I'm like why would i make that up like you don't trust my disney intel like this is a masterful like we have this thing how do we put it back together mm-hmm. yeah and 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 we know that people are thinking that too so we want to make sure that when we when they actually see it that they're like impressed <laughs> like we oh, don't want amazing. people to just go oh this is just a rescan or something you know we want to like make people think like Oh, this isn't just a reskin. Like it's actually like a whole new ride. And I think I think we really did plus it a lot from what it was. Oh yeah, flyers. Um, and we actually sent the the ride back to the original company that built Flix Flyers in Germany, and they actually were the ones who put the new cladding on and who did the big the big memory spheres on the um, ride vehicles and like the balloon that. type shaped right. ones. Yeah. So you that ride was built in Germany, mm-hmm. sent to Anaheim. Used for a decade, packed back up, shipped back to Germany, and brought back to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and see, I love that attention to detail of like, you know, who should, who the right guy to do this job is, is the people that put it together. We'll need to send it out to them. That's fascinating. Right. <laughs> so, something that's interesting is Pixar Pier opened up with uh, the Incredicoaster being ready to roll. That was sort of the big grand finale. And I love learning from you. It's like, since we got to take the roller coaster apart, how about we just rebuild the whole land? Like, I love that that's <laughs> right. where it came from. <laughs> that's sort of how the whole thing started. And it's then, wild. you know, because Mania's over there, too, we already had, it would be a couple Pixar attractions. And then this was when John Lasseter was still a big part of, like, sure. bringing Pixar to the parks. And so he was a big advocate to us for, for, our, for our group. Um, and so I think he was a big part of, like, convincing them to do this entire area as, like, a Pixar area. Yeah, he had really had the um, 
he had that vision that people bought into. So if he was laboring for something to happen, he could get other people to see his mm-hmm. vision. Right. I think that's I think that's the true part of creative success when you get to that level is that people buy into the way that you see the world. I yeah. think for a lot of fans, when there was the temporary shift of Iger was leaving and somebody else was taking over, it's like Iger had such great vision that I think fans get worried about. Well, can the next guy, can Chapik, match that same intense vision? But when the land opened, we had Incredicoaster that was partnering up with Toy Story Midway Mania. But as time would go on, we would see Jesse's Critter Carousel open afterwards. And that, I think, set the bar for the extreme amount of detail of what you guys were able to do on a longer path. Because if I'm doing the monkey math right in my head, it was about nine months after everything else had opened. And then when the um, emotional whirlwind opened up, that was even way past Jesse. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two attractions really set the footprint of what you guys are capable to do with those big brands and smaller attractions. But I think that it really shows, given time, given budget, DCA is really due for a big ground up Pixar <laughs> attraction. Yeah, I mean... But, you know, that's that's our our ultimate wish list is for Pixar Pier to keep continuing, you know, because yes. there's a few more attractions there that don't have theming yet. So it would be cool for Pixar Pier to, you know, keep going like around that whole lake, the whole there. horseshoe there. I yeah. My dream would be that once you go past Little Mermaid, that whole Paradise Gardens area would wrap all the way around. And I mean, I'm even so ambitious that I'm saying, look. We've already built one bridge over Disney Way for downtown Disney. Let's build a second bridge and make that a Pixar hotel and bring that straight into the park. Oh, like, I if, like that idea. <laughs> if Paradise, if the Paradise Pier Hotel, is that the name of it? I'm having a hard time. Yeah, whatever. If that hotel, the Paradise Hotel, <laughs> if that was a Pixar hotel and we're like standing down there waiting for World of Color and we looked up and we saw the ball over across the way... That just brings that storytelling even in there so much more. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of questions for you. And I mm-hmm. know that you have, you know, you, you have your job and I don't want to interfere with anything. But as a fan, <laughs> I just want, I want to put now that I'm the 13th member of the team. Okay. I, want to, I want to put this bug in your ear. We already built an amazing attraction in one loop of Incredicoaster. But there's a second loop that has nothing in it but rocks and sand. So <laughs> when the world gets back to going... I'd like to put that on my dream list for the Pixar Pier. And there's the Pixar Promenade, right? Mm -hmm. Like just the door that goes to nowhere. I have a dream. I think that door was put there to tease (laughs) us that sometime in the future, we're going to go through that door into more Pixar magic. (laughs) I like that idea, too. Um, I mean, it it was the Pixar Promenade was, was meant to be an area that was a little bit more... Um, I mean, I wouldn't say generic, but a place where any of the Pixar characters could be, because we know we have a lot of the the walk around characters that yeah. we want to have meet and greets, but they don't fit in maybe any of the specific neighborhoods. So we did want an area where we could have like meet and greets and have any of the characters be able to fit there. And I think the the band was playing there, although I don't know if that ever worked out quite so well because there wasn't really a stage. Um, for the band to be on or seats or anything. There. So every yeah, time the, I, I love the band. I hope that the band can come back at some point, but um, they were awesome. But I just felt like there, maybe that wasn't the right place for them to play because 
um, during Pixar Fest, they were over in the, the Paradise Gardens area, and I felt mm-hmm. like that was a little better because they had a little stage and everything. But, um, but yeah, that'd be cool if the door opened and then there's something in there. Um, I mean, what what Pixar film do you think do you think should get added? <laughs> well, that that gets into a deep. I have this, I have sort of this idea that I would love a dark ride mm-hmm. that. Um, is vignettes from lots of different uh, uh, properties. Mm, okay. And, and much like how the pier is a lot of little bit, you know, the little neighborhood idea that you guys came up with. I would love there to be a dark ride where it can be lots of vignettes because as one ages, it can be removed for another one. And, and getting back to the, the promenade idea of, of that being a mixed use space, we just recently put the minivan. Oh, let's walk over here and look right. at it. We have the minivan from, uh, or not minivan, the custom van from Onward. Like, right. minivan? That's, that's a cool <laughs> 70s makeout van. <laughs> so we have the Onward van parked in front of us right now. Mm-hmm. So I do like the idea of whatever's happening in the world of Pixar, that if you pack up your little ones and they fall in love with the newest franchise, that you can immediately go see it without us having to wait 16 years to be like, this one's worthy of a dark ride. And, yeah, you know, it's held that up was over actually that years. was nice that they agreed to make the costume characters for Onward because we were able to start those like way ahead of time, so we were able to release them when the film released, which isn't That's always great. the case because a lot of times they wait until they wait to see if the film is successful first. But then by that time, then you can't have the costume characters come out for like months after the film is is over like it took us a long time to make the costume character of miguel who finally came out like with the magic captain's parade and i think he turned out so cute i yeah. just, i hope we can see that parade again soon but i auditioned uh, to uh just be the dad's pants but i didn't get the job <laughs> said i had too much torso <laughs> they have to have a really short person play the <laughs> pants, i guess <laughs> but you know what i would love to talk to you about though is everybody who's a creative you don't always get the blank slate. Like it would be awesome if they said, "Hey, we're we're tearing out Hollywood Land and we want to go more Pixar back here or, you know, we're going to open up the promenade doors. We're going to clear out these backstage buildings. I've measured it. There's room, don't worry." And they just say, "Hey, here's dirt. Here's how much square foot you have. Build something." Like everybody loves the idea of starting from zero. But a lot of being a designer is creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. So Let's talk about when you were looking at the sketches or you're looking at Flix Flyers and you mm-hmm. guys are sitting around the table literally trying to imagine how do we wrap this movie that people adore around this? Like, how long of a time are we just sketching and spitballing ideas and really kind of kicking the can around until we come up with like a proof of concept sketch that we're like, all right, now let's send this off to fabrication. Let's get a lighting team working on it. Like, how long does that creative process take you guys? Yeah. Um, with Emotional Whirlwind, we had a little bit longer on that just because they were doing the uh, the the rollout of Pixar Pier sort of in stages. So that was yeah. one at the final stage. I think maybe we were talking about it for about a year before we actually started fabricating things. Um, I know one of the trickiest parts was that in on the original ride vehicles, they're like squares. Um, and all the shape language and inside out everything has rounded corners. And so that was something that was really tough for us to figure out what can we do with these squares that just, it feels like it's part of the inside out world. Uh, 
it was really tough for us and and the you know we wanted to put little like cladding on it to round out the edges and things like that but then the company that that makes the ride vehicles they said they couldn't add anything because it would add extra weight and right. so we couldn't add weight so what we ended up doing was doing sort of a, a graphic pattern on them that has rounded shapes in it um so that it sort of evokes that shape language without having to actually add anything to the ride vehicles because they had to stay that same shape. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the kind of tricky problem solving. But I actually like those challenges. Like For sure. It's, it is interesting when you get an assignment to just make up whatever you want from scratch. But I almost feel like having some kind of limitations gives you some place to start you know some direction to go in otherwise it's like you're just like oh i could do anything well i don't even it's almost too overwhelming like you don't know where to start <laughs> it is and i always say that the reason why so many of us choose a career in commercial art versus fine art is we love that problem solving right mm -hmm. and, it, and it goes back to being uh, a kid and, and just like here's your pile of legos you're you're held to how many Legos you have and in, in your imagination and how you can build it out. And I think as you get older and you look at your career, it's a lot like that in that it's problem solving. Like this is how much space of land you guys have. This is the original attraction. This is the IP. Was it a no brainer that, that inside out was going to be the IP for this attraction? Or were there a couple other ones that were thrown around? Um, there were other ones that were thought about. Um, but I actually don't know who picked Inside Out. Um, I can't, it's hard for me to remember because that was like when I first joined the theme parks team. And also some of the decisions are made through Disney. Like sure. they might have some discussion amongst themselves first and then pick an IP that they feel like, um, you know, hits the demographic that they're trying to go for or something like yeah. that, you know? Um, uh, I mean, Inside Out is my favorite Pixar movie, so I was really happy that they picked Inside Out. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't think, I'm trying to think, I don't think there was another Inside Out thing in the parks before that. So um, there was a float for one of the parades that I worked on. Yeah, uh, for the the Pixar Play Parade? Yeah, the Pixar Play Parade. When the yeah. film came out, we did an Inside Out float, but then I, I don't know if it was... I don't know if it was like, um, I don't know if that parade, I think that parade stopped after a while. That'd Pixar be nice play if they brought parade, that. Yeah, that's yeah. not happening right now. Well, yeah. it's off the schedule for the moment. But the thing I know about the parades is they never die. They just go on breaks and they always find a way to come back to you. I'm talking to you, Main Street Electrical Parade. I know I'll be seeing you going down Main Street again real soon. <laughs> so for this attraction, though, when when they give you that IP and you guys are looking at it, a lot of interesting things that come into play. And I'm sure you get a lot of this guidance from Disney, for example, that the new idea at Disneyland is to try to get the lines for the attractions out of the walkways. And that goes that we're in this renaissance of the, the parks are busier than ever. It's going to be interesting to see how this all works with social distancing. But for your mm -hmm. attraction, the queue is actually behind it, which mm -hmm. creates beautiful sight lines because as you're walking along the pier you just see these little silhouettes of people standing behind it which only enforces the overall narrative and you see the people having fun if those people were curved out front 
We don't get to have these fun photo ops. We don't get to really enjoy the soundtrack of the music because with the people being on the backside of the sound breaks, when you walk through there, you really hear this ride's soundtrack. And it's such an emotional soundtrack that every time I walk through, I'm like, I'm not crying today. I'm at Disneyland and I'm not crying. I'm like, all right, I'll choke up a little bit. I'll get a little bit when I hear that music. Like, oh, I'm feeling scared. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm feeling a little bit all right now. (laughs) But like, how long does it take you folks to figure out that sort of footprint of like hmm. people are going in this way they're coming out that like sort of the operational aspect of yeah, it outside I mean, of the art our team isn't involved too much with like the architecture side of it that's more like the disney side it's it's more once they figure out where they would like to have the queue or something then we figure out how can we theme it and Skin how it. can we how can we make it feel like it's in the world of inside out or how can we give people some awesome artwork to look at while they're in the queue Yes, that goes along with the storytelling. The um, posters back there are fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love... Man, those are so cool. I, I think they should like do a calendar or something of those posters. <laughs> so do you guys... Forgive me for not knowing this, but did you all work on any of the Magic Happens floats? Or, um, or any of those Pixar properties? Yeah, so our team did... Our team did the Coco float. Um, right. I'm not sure if there is any other Pixar. I don't think there is any other Pixar ones. It, it gets um, a little now that Disney's really kind of tried to chase the Pixar magic. Sometimes it gets a little blurry in my mind, which, you know, uh picture house owns, which property, but right. Coco is uh, a Pixar property and that's in the magic happens parade. So your team does work. I mean, our team does work on that. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that was another one of uh, Steve Mason's project. So I don't really know too much about the process of that one, but um, I think the the float turned out beautiful. Um, and I really love the walk around, the Miguel walk around character. And they did two different outfits for Miguel. They did his, his red hoodie outfit yeah. and they did his uh, mariachi outfit from the end of the film. So it's really cute. Yeah. The, the Coco show that performs over on the edge of paradise gardens, uh, such a great show. And it's, it's always amazing to me that for the first minute you're like, all right, there's, there's a guy standing behind him as a puppet puppeteer. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And like halfway through the song, that guy just disappears. And all right. you see is is the puppet in front of him. Like, I always love that magic trick. But the uh, Coco uh, float or parade vehicle in Magic Happens, it's so rad. Uh, the size of that thing and building the bridge and all of the different animated. Like, there's so many different vignettes inside of that one float. But what I found the most pride for that is how that pays so much tribute to the culture of Southern California and seeing so many people Mm -hmm. standing on the sidewalk on, I went there for the sneak preview of that uh, parade, saw it the day before it opened and seeing so many of our Latino neighbors like smiling and choked up, waving at this parade that reflects their culture. To me, that was when the magic happened. Like I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> awesome. right now talking about it. It was yeah. such a great Disney moment. Yeah, that's great. And and we have noticed like basically anything Coco that we've done with the parks, especially with Disneyland. Yeah, because sure. there's there's a big Latinx um, audience, you know, for it. So and and there's just a real love for for that film. So anything Coco that we've done has really been uh, received really well. Like. 
Um, also for Pixar Fest, we did a fireworks show and the cocoa yeah. segment for that um, got a huge response. And yeah, it's just it's great. So I'm hoping that we can continue to add more cocoa stuff. I mean, that's that's another one of my favorite Pixar films. So I love I love that film and and the music because we we really haven't done a lot of films with music at Pixar. So yeah, um, it is nice to have the music because that's an easy way for people to uh, become reconnected with the film. Sorry, I hit my microphone. <laughs> happens but all the time. It's a, uh, it immediately brings back that nostalgia for the film when you hear that, the music. Um, so I think having a film that's really focused on music, it just gives that hook for, for the guests to, to feel that emotion for the film again. Oh, I mean, the how when you walk around the Disneyland Resort and the soundtrack follows you everywhere that you go, and it seamlessly transforms into your next land. You know, I'm from originally from Kentucky and I love the sounds of radiator Springs, right? <laughs> like when I'm back there, single rider line always for the radiator racers, like that country, like old timey music loop that they have, or the music that's on um, Jesse's critter carousel. And like I said earlier, when you walk, just walking past the emotional whirlwind and you just catch that that soundtrack of the ride when you walk past it it immediately takes you to that moment and yeah the the thing that i really loved about coco in both the different festivals and being a part of the parade is it really brings a realism to the street fair atmosphere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the uh the three Kings celebration that they do back at paradise gardens is probably my favorite holiday show that they have at the park so you're a busy woman. You don't have a ton of time. With the remainder of the time, we've talked about what you've touched at the park, and hopefully as you make more things, we'll get to learn about them. But let's talk about you and your lifelong relationship with Disneyland. Mm-hmm. When you go there, leaving behind that you're a professional and that you now have a piece of you at the park, but when you go there as a as a natural citizen, as, as you know, just a regular person, not a superhero... Where do you like to go in the park? Like, what's the land that really, really speaks to you? Hmm. Um, well, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I went to the park as a kid um, a few times. Not, you know, not tons, but a few times. Yeah. Um, hmm. I was always really scared of scary rides, even the ones at Disneyland. Like, I was really scared of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but now I, I really like pirates. I think um, rides that are really immersive, like pirates or like Indiana Jones or Radiator Springs Racers is another one of my favorites. But those ones where you go in and you feel like you're somewhere else, like yes. I think it's so cool when you just feel fully immersed. So like in pirates, when you're in that first area and you look up and it feels like you're at night all of a sudden and you're outside (laughs) but you're not it's daytime and you're inside it's just a really cool illusion that i i love that feeling that it you feel totally transported to another world um so those are my favorites um my favorite thing about pirates like my favorite room of it is i love at disneyland being an illustrator and being a designer i love when you walk into moments and you can tell that you're standing exactly the perspective that the illustration was drawn for the work. You know what I mean? Like you're stepping <laughs> into comp art. So in pirates, when we're going out of like, you know, I would say act two and you're getting ready to go into the, the, the big 
pirate boat fight, right? Like there's the pirate ship over to your left, and then there's the guys in the castle to your right, and they're blasting back and forth. The boat in front of you, when it's in that keyhole, and you're next to look through, let me, I'm saying it Kentucky style, keyhole, I dropped my L's. <laughs> when you're looking through that keyhole, and you see the shapes of those rocks, and you just see the silhouette of the boat in front of you, and all the fog, and the key- that looks like I'm going into a poster mm-hmm. for Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. That's and so I, cool. I love those shots where I'm like, I'm standing or floating exactly where this was drawn to look this way. And mm-hmm. I love it that, you know, getting back to Disney being a, a work of art, I love when I'm like, I'm living in a poster right now. I'm living in a painting right yeah, now. Yeah. I love those moments so much. But you're totally right. That immersive experience when everybody gets out of the boat and you really feel like you just went someplace and did something special. I look forward to Pixar having that moment at the resort. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, yeah. Like, obviously, you know, for the future, I want to see more of like, my favorite uh, Pixar films, which are Inside Out and Coco. But, you know, really getting, like, any of the Pixar stuff in there is, like, it's just so fun. I just want to see the house floating over the Paradise <laughs> Pier. That's all. I just want to see the house. Because, you know, in Paris and, and Orlando, they have the, the, the balloon that goes up straight down. I just, I want to come around the corner over by the, you know, I want to go up San Francisco Street take a right around the Little Mermaid and just see the house floating in the air and just grab my wife's hand and speak, I love you. Grape soda pen. Don't I know. At, let's see. Isn't it at Disney Springs in, in uh, Florida? There's a balloon that like yeah. goes up. And the same thing in Paris. It just goes up and down. Like Let's yeah. just get the house up in the air. The house can be inflatable too. I'm not picky. We don't have to float a real house in the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be real picky. I just want to see that. <laughs> so if you, if you had to tell me like it's been a crazy couple of months, right? Mm-hmm. And you're a professional with the organization. And let's just pretend that you get taken down to 1313 Disneyland way. And they say, if you guys want to go in the park, you can go in the park two hours. Just come back and meet us. Where would you want to go right now? Like, where would you just want to sit and let all of this insanity melt away and just sit in the warm embrace of Disneyland? <laughs> oh man. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what's like the most relaxing. I know I. What's like the most relaxing spot? There is like a place like over near Small World that's pretty quiet sometimes. Oh, the old boat dock. Yeah, maybe that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah, Fantasia Gardens. <laughs> Love that spot. But you know, I I really I like Lamplight Lounge. Like actually going in the back there and looking out over the lake, and they have like little fire pits out there now, and you can like get a drink and look out over that world of oh. lake. It's Not really only nice. is that the best cheeseburger at the resort, <laughs> there I said at Club Thirty Three. Sue me, bring it on. That, <laughs> the, that burger there. If you're like, oh, I never got to go to Club Thirty Three. I'm telling you right now, the burger Lamplight is slightly better. They're both excellent burgers, but the Lamplight is the best burger at at the resort but being out on that pier being out on that dock sitting in the middle of that whole area and hey maybe if you get lucky you could time it just right you got a little world of color action going on right behind you and around sunset it's just really relaxing oh oh, it's beautiful and (laughs) can i just can i thank the rest of my team of 12 ladies gentlemen my fellow board members my my team my ride or die crew Thank you so much for not taking Mickey's face off the Pixar Palorau. 
if that was just a ball, that would break my heart. Or if it was a lamp, that would be even weirder. So thank you so much for letting Mickey still be a part of the Pixar Pal Around. I, I can't thank your team enough for not taking that sweet, sweet Mickey off of there. Well, we, we love Mickey. <laughs> we think... We think the, the the Fab Five, as we call them, we feel like they're like the one, like the only characters that can sort of go anywhere in the park. Right. And they can, right. they're, they're your, your hosts in the park. So they can they're go your anywhere. landlord. Yeah. Right? Like Mickey's the landlord. It's like, all right, I'll give you Pixar, guys. I'll give you some property. But don't forget, rent's due at the first every month. Right. Write it out to M Mouse. What I love about Lamplight, though, is that multi-level experience, right? There's the... The locals bar up top. That is the cool place for locals to hang out. And then you have the restaurant below. I also hear that there's maybe a private dining area. Yes, there's in the a bottom. secret room in the back. <laughs> yeah. Have you had dinner in the secret room? Um, I have not. But um, I've been there. I've been in the back there. I haven't actually eaten back there. I know the woman that designed the place, if you need a hookup. <laughs> okay. She was on my podcast. I mean, if you need me to, you know, I'm part of the team, so I can get you in there if you need to get in there. Um, as yeah. we wrap up today, I think though. They just, I think they just randomly give those tables, like, if they if you're a larger party, um, then if, if somebody is not back there already, then they might seat you back there. It's just kind of random. Interesting. I think I might start calling every day and saying, party of 16, you got a spot for me? <laughs> Where, where can you put me at? So when you went to Disneyland as a kid living in L.A., and it sounded like mom and dad were good and they didn't overabuse it, kept it for special events, could you ever imagine as a little girl that loved to draw in your books and play video games and loved art and culture, could you ever imagine that one day you'd be able to walk through there and say, see that over there? I put that there. I designed that. Oh, my gosh. Not in a million years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like to draw, but I had no clue that this was like a career that you could have. Yeah. You know, I I read comics in the newspaper and that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to like draw comics. So Who was your favorite? Who was my favorite? Um probably like Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> I don't like to read, so I like Family Circus. I'm like one cell in and out <laughs> done. Now let's see what Marmaduke's been up to. Yeah, everything else is too much. Too much for me. <laughs> um yeah, and and I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with art, um, but I didn't even know I wanted to do animation until, I mean, in high school, I took my first animation class, um, and that was how I started getting into animation. But I did not, I didn't know about theme parks. I mean, I knew there was something called Imagineers, but I didn't even know, like, right. Do you have to be an engineer to do that? I didn't know like what kind of background you had to have to be involved in that. But really, it's like there's people from all kinds of different backgrounds in Imagineering. So, well, and also the internet has given us an extreme amount of connectivity, and now Imagineers are like rock stars. Like now, everybody kind of knows the hierarchy of who's doing what out at Disneyland. And so, you know, they used to just be like you would just go to an amusement park and like. I, this is really somebody's job. Where do they come? Right. I don't even know. Yeah, they now, used to be they used to be a lot more secretive and now yes. they're releasing like more behind the scenes stuff, which I think is really cool. I think I do too. As a fan, it's interesting to see how this all this stuff is made. Um and I don't know, it doesn't really take away the magic for me, but maybe it does for somebody else. I don't know. Maybe that's why they were so secretive about it, but <laughs> I no, like I all think, the behind the scenes stuff. I think so much TLC goes into everything that 
what I come because I'm not really a big Disney movies person. I'm in love with the park. My love starts and stops with the park. And what I learned about the park was is the more that I pulled on that thread, it's history. And, you know, just like we were talking about earlier about, you know, your friend putting Big Thunder Mountain in that uh, mural behind you. Like, I love that attention to detail. And I think that the more that we learn about Imagineering and the thought process and how hard you all work on making these pieces for us, that it, it strengthens the relationship. It doesn't cheapen it at, in any way. Going back to two summers ago, Pixar Pier opens up for the first time. You're there for opening night, I'm assuming. What was it like to walk around and for the first time ever to see me, the guest, living inside of your sketches, living inside of these things where on the other side of construction walls that you guys are making big time decisions about like, well, I know we wanted 16 outlets, but we can't do it because we've got to move Woody around. We've got to put Buzz over here. Like, what was it like when it was finally executed and just seeing people walk around smiling, Mm -hmm. not knowing about all the things that got thrown in the trash, not knowing (laughs) about all the things you wanted to do that you couldn't do, but just seeing it as it was executed and just loving it. Yeah, What's that moment like? Well, that's that's honestly the most fulfilling thing about my job is seeing guests interact with our attractions. Um, like, I I also worked on Turtle Talk on when we did the um, bringing the Finding Dory characters into Turtle Talk and just yeah. seeing like, because that's a really interactive attraction. Like they yes. talk directly to the audience and the audience reacts to that. So that seeing cast that, member is skilled to oh, keep yeah. that going all day long. Yeah. It's multiple cast members. There's like right. several turtles, but um, yeah, they're really great. Um, but uh, so yeah, seeing that guest interaction, that's really what I, I get my, my fulfillment from. And, sure. and it's also, I think why, I worked in video games for five years and it's also what I love about video games. It's like this interactive form of art. So yeah. it's not just something that's passive that people are watching, but it's it's almost like a conversation between the artist and, and the guest or the user. And you're getting feedback from them and we can change things, you know, and we do change things. And we we listen to what the guest's reactions are and, and what they're, you know, what kind of things they want to see in the park and and... And if people want, you know, more cocoa in the park, let's give them more cocoa. So um, I I always really like seeing what people's reactions to things are. And it is interesting to see, like, what they notice and what they don't notice. And it's not right. always, like, what you would expect. No, no. <laughs> um, but, I think every um, artist knows putting out a project, I mean, people are going to love this one part of it. Nobody mm-hmm. acknowledges it. And the thing you didn't even think about, people are like, that was genius how you put the dog in the corner. You're like, what are you talking? I didn't <laughs> right. even think about that. That was just an accident. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So I think actually right now it's it's been kind of a hard time for me because with the parks being closed, I'm not really getting that that feedback, and yeah. so it's been a little bit hard for me to stay motivated um, because I'm still working on projects. Like we, you know, we're gonna be working on stuff for the parks when they open again. Um, we're gonna need right, people you see to this come pen? back. You see this pen right here? <laughs> I will sign any NDA you put in front of me. You need real time fan feedback. <laughs> Nobody's a bigger freak than me. I'll sign it and I'll review it and I'll consume it as such. No, I I think that the part that I I fear most about the current state of the world that we're in is that what I love about Disneyland and the Disneyland Resort and Disney's California Adventure is that it's this living, breathing thing. And it does adjust. It pivots all the time. And, you know, 
sometimes I have my friend Philander on, who's a Disney VIP tour guide. And I said, you know, Disneyland's pretty close to perfect. It, it's the slight 5% change here and there. But what I really like about Disney's California Adventure is it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that it's not perfect yet. But every year it takes another step towards perfection. And I really do think that Cars Land and Pixar Pier were massive upgrades. And I have every belief that Avengers Campus Phase 1 and hopefully 2 will continue that. And I just really look forward to this being a park where Disneyland is sort of ageless. But I feel like DCA has a real moment to capture this generation that was there when it was being built. And I believe that Pixar is a really, really big part of that story. Even though all those properties don't necessarily apply to me as an individual, I understand how they apply to the culture. Mm -hmm. And I really look forward to seeing you and the rest of my team that I work so hard with every single day put all of this together. Hey, Tasha, thank you so much for coming on the show. And right now, this is what I like to say to people that work at Disneyland or people that build the attractions. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Thank you. I love listening to the podcast and um, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate all the guests that really um, love the park and notice all the the small details that we do put in. So it it makes my my job a lot of fun. Yeah. And and that, you know, weirdos like me will figure out where it is or where it's at. So when you go to the park now, if you go there, with family or friends, do you always find a little bit of time to walk past your designs? <laughs> um, I guess usually, I mean, usually there's something that I want to show my family because it'll be like the last thing that I worked on. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so actually my son is six, so I definitely wanted to take him on uh, Emotional Whirlwind and on uh, Jesse's Critic Carousel. So he was, you know, the perfect age for those. Does so, he understand that mom worked on this? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, mean, would, that mean you and I went to Disney as just like like dumb kids that just rode things and went home and like, well, that was fun, but it's over. Like your son rode the emotional, emotional whirlwind with you and was, his mind was exploding. Like this is what my mom does for a living. <laughs> I don't know if he fully like grasps it or understands that it's something that is kind of cool. I think because he it's just been that way since he was born, like he's just sort of used to it, you know, like he'll he'll go to Pixar and to him, that's just like a regular thing. But to other people, it's like, oh, my God, I'm at Pixar. What a gift to give your kid, though, because you know how you and I both said that we grew up with the cloak of secrecy over the entertainment or the theme park industry. Like we didn't know how it worked. We just know that we loved it. Your son will never know that firewall. Like he'll always know (laughs) being in the nucleus of that. So just think about where his dreams and his inspiration can take him not having that bizarro, you know, intimidation that you and I were raised with. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, look at you. Great mom and theme park attraction designer. Thank you so much for what you do at the park. Really, really appreciate it. And even more appreciate you coming on and listening to the show. This has been a really fun conversation. Friends, thank you so much for hanging out and doing another weekly trip out to Disneyland with me. I want to thank Tasha so much for coming on, and I'm sure she would appreciate if you guys show her some love and leave some comments and let her know that her time on Disneyland for Designers was absolutely worth 
every minute, every drop of what she gave us. There's so many podcasts these days. It's always nice to let the guests know that this is one that you listened to, that you enjoyed what they had to say, that you got something from it, because that's the best way for Tasha and others to decide to keep coming back and for others to want to be a part of what we're doing over here. So by all means, if you enjoyed anything that she had to say, just leave a comment on one of my posts or or maybe at message her and say that you heard her over on the show. It really does mean a lot to people to know that their time was justified and that their their thoughts, their experiences communicated with others and meant something to someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can always go to anchor.fm to become one of our supporters by going to Disneyland for Designers at anchor.fm. Thank you so much, Amanda Moran, our Tinkerbell Zipline Award winner. Hopefully, I'll see another one of you on the show next week when we do it all over again when Jared comes back. Thank you so much for taking a lap around Disneyland with me. It's always an honor to take each of you out to the park. Until the next time we meet, my friends, live the magic every single day and don't stop believing.